The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki season two is marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki season two now streaming only on Disney Plus. How are you now? How are you now? Ladies and gentlemen, folks, I'm joined today for a special episode of Habs and Minded Extra by Anton Rassigard uh, of the nation of Sweden, the, the fourth best hockey nation in the world. Anton, how are you doing? I was going to say, like, I mean, I don't feel very Swedish anymore. I've been in Montreal now for six weeks. So, I'm, hey. you know, I was going to. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I'm more Montrealian now than you are, who have, you know, left the uh, left the province. I, I did. I did leave the province. That's that's correct. But, you know, my, my heart will always be there. Yeah. Right? With your Canadian tattoo close to the heart and everything. Absolutely. And speaking of the Canadians, of course, what are we here to talk about today? Well, we had a couple of things happen in uh, Montreal Canadiens land. Uh, the first thing, and I think the biggest thing, is a trade. The Montreal Canadiens trade Jeff Petrie and Ryan Paling to the Pittsburgh Penguins in exchange for Mike Matheson and a fourth round pick. Now, Anton, I'm going to go to you first. What do you think about that trade? I wasn't sure what to think of it at first, because obviously, uh, as a Habs fan, we tend to be quite uh, unrealistic in our expectations. Uh, we want everything back in a haul, and we want to give nothing in return. And <laughs> um, basically, like if you, if you just looked at the landscape for trades... Uh, in the last few weeks, well, basically since uh, since the draft, we've seen Brent Burns be uh, traded for you know a bag of chips. We've seen Max Pacioretty be traded for even less than that. <laughs> um, so, in fact, when you look at it, and especially when you start to go into advanced analytics and everything, this looks like a really solid piece of business. You get you know a 34 year old Jeff Petrie who wanted to go back to the U.S. Uh, out and he had three years left on his contract and if we look at even if we played better during uh, Martin Saint-Louis it's still a possibility that you know being 35, 36 it wouldn't have worked out on a rebuilding Habs and uh, then you get a 28 year old Mike Matheson back he has a contract on like 4.675 or something uh, for four more years and uh, he's a former uh, you know Kent Hughes uh, can't use uh, well. Can't use as a for, former agent, right? So, I'm guessing they know him pretty well, and his advanced analytics data looks really solid. Yeah, and you you mentioned the analytics, right? I mean, I I like most people. I think I mostly remembered Mike Matheson for his Florida days when things really yeah. did not go well for him in Florida. He got yeah, a lot yeah, yeah. better after he went to Pittsburgh. I'm looking at the micro stats right now from last season. He was 92nd percentile in terms of denial, so uh, defensive zone entry attempts by the other team 92nd percentile in terms of denying those 96th percentile in terms of possession entry rate 96th percentile in terms of rush shots uh 82nd percentile in terms of carry entries 
a lot of these underlying numbers paint the picture of a player that's got a lot more value than we might have thought. I mean, when I first heard the trade, Paling and Petrie going, and we're just getting Matheson in a fourth rounder, my initial reaction when I heard that there was a pick, I was like, this better be a first round pick. Yeah. But then when I took a look at those underlying numbers, right, took a look at the analytics, I was like, man, there's a much better player there in Mike Matheson than I thought there was. So all of a yeah. sudden, I don't really care about that fourth, uh, the fourth round pick. I mean, it's nice to have. <clears throat> it's a it's a chip that you can especially maybe, as a trade chip. Yeah, it's a yeah. chip you can maybe use in a trade or, or who knows. I mean, sometimes you can get some gems in the fourth round of the NHL draft as well. But I think the big thing here is that they managed to shed salary without necessarily kneecapping their defense. Matheson can play next year if you want him to, and he could actually contribute on this team. And is he better than Jeff Petrie? I mean, I don't think the numbers necessarily suggest that, but they do suggest that he has the capability of taking on the same type of minutes that Jeff Petrie would normally take. So you didn't kneecap yourself. And most importantly, Anton, you mentioned this already. We didn't have to pay to get rid of the guy or get rid of him for literally nothing. You look at the trade market right now when it comes to defensemen, like you said, Brent Burns, bag of chips, Max Pacioretty, literally future considerations, apparently the most popular thing in the NHL right now. Yeah, People are paying money or paying assets in order to shed salary. Montreal managed to shed some salary, not a whole lot, because obviously we took on some back with Mike Matheson, but we managed to free up some cap space without having to actually pay assets to do that. So I think, you know, as reserved as the reactions are on Hab's Twitter right now. Uh, I say reserved, you know, a little bit conservatively there, maybe liberally. I don't know. Some people are upset about this trade, but I think when we look back at this trade in a year, two years, I think it's going to look pretty good. Exactly. But, but it's mainly because you want that prime asset coming back. And if it's a 28-year-old former first-rounder who, as you said, didn't do very well in Florida, the team that he was drafted by, um, then you look at it and just see the uh, the cap hits almost four, five million, and and you think like, well, I mean, he signed four more years. What what are we gonna do with him? But as you get into it, as you said, like as you start to go into more depth when it comes to Mike Madison, like I didn't watch a lot of Pittsburgh last season. I didn't know that he mm. had a breakout season. Apparently he really did. And, and as you said, when you look at his denial rate and everything, it, it's really high class actually. And because I remember like I, I wrote in our internal Slack chat, right. When the trade happened that, well, of course they're taking on Mike Madison and they are just going to flip him at the deadline. Right. Because he has a lower cap hit. So it'll be easier to move. And he's kind of like a Christian Dvorak. He signed to reasonable money for an extended period of time. And that means that he can be a valuable, you know, contributor in the middle of a lineup somewhere. But now when I look at it, I actually think he's someone who the Canadians can use for a bit of veteran presence on a pretty young team. And uh, especially with the connection that he has to Kent Hughes already and Kent Hughes knowing which kind of character they bring in and everything. And I was watching the press conference in, you know, a little bit later than, than it was, uh, you know, than live. And um, I heard Kent Hughes say that we wanted a defenseman in return. And that obviously narrowed the market as well for, for a Patriot trade. If you wanted to make sure that you got a defenseman, a defenseman who actually had played in the league, not, you know, another Justin Barron or, you know, another young guy coming in there, but actually someone who can be a steady presence for a Jordan Harris, um, you know, uh, Corey Schooneman, even if he's a slightly older, he's still, you know, a rookie and, um, and a, a Justin Barron. And now he got that. And 
what's even better is Mike Madison should probably be at the top of his career right now, being 28 and having four more years signed, which means that he will be signed until 32. And if he can continue to work as well as he did in Pittsburgh last season while playing, you know, with not the best, I don't know which, which pairing he had, but it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't Crystal Tang or someone like that from what I, from what I saw. And, uh, you know, if he can work with a Justin Barron, for example, uh, and free up uh, an offensively minded defenseman in Justin Barron, that would be great for uh, the Habs development. Yeah. And he, you, you got to put him with a bit more of a mobile partner as well. I mean, he is a good skater, but because he likes to really shut down the entries there and he's kind of stepping up against forwards at the blue line, you want somebody who can cover those dump ins. Cause you know, I talked about the underlying numbers, but his numbers when it comes to recovering pucks that are dumped in by the opposition are not great because he really tries to meet them at the blue line. So giving him somebody like a Justin Barron could be a good idea. And like you said, having somebody around with that experience, uh, that mentorship. And then another thing that was really interesting in Ken Hughes's press conference, right? He mentioned that Pittsburgh didn't want to trade Matheson. They wanted to hang on to him. So they've been talking about this for a little bit. And, you know, I asked the question on Twitter. And of course, our buddy Jared Book came back to me and said, you know, the guy they were probably trying to shoehorn into that deal was John Marino. Yeah. Of course, they just got rid of John Marino as well to free themselves of some cap trading in New Jersey. And, you know, again, looking at the underlying numbers, looking at salaries, Matheson's a way better option for the Habs. Marino's yeah. a little bit younger. Yeah. Right. He's uh, I think he's born in 97. I'm not sure. I'd have to go double check. Yeah, he, that, is. But he is. He is. Perfect. So a little bit younger, right? A couple of years younger, but signed around the same thing. He's got a cap hit of 4.4. And this is a guy who had 25 points last year, whereas Matheson had 31. I mean, Matheson, I think, mm-hmm. has better offensive upside, which you don't necessarily need out of your defenseman. But the Habs have those young players coming up. They need to have somebody who's got that skill, who can move the puck, who can contribute on offense to try and mentor them. Because they, they got to be able to build a more competitive team over the course of several years, over the course of this rebuild. And part of that is going to be getting more production out of your defense. Yeah. And as you say, like, I mean, basically, yeah, you could have gone for the younger option in in Marino with the hopes that he could be, uh, you know, a Mike Madison down the line, like in three years or something uh, that he could have the same, you know, advanced stats or, or whatever. But that's, you know, we, we come back to the family guy mystery box quite often here because like you kind of look at younger guys and just see, well, look at all this potential. I mean, if Ryan Paling, for example, may he rest in peace in Pittsburgh now, um, if he becomes, you know, if he becomes what he could be when he was drafted in 2017, he could be, you know, a viable top six option. Well, I mean, the potential is, will always be there. Like we've seen that with, you know, someone like Mike Madison this season breaking out at the age of 27, but, you know, there was someone writing on, I think it was on Twitter now, for example, that you can look at the trajectory of two players, Jeff Petrie being 34 and having had a, a, a down season, that could be, you know, just a sign of things to come, right? While Matheson, you know, he's really only had one really great season, but that could also be a sign of things to come. At least he's trending upwards. And and I think for a rebuilding Habs team, getting someone in who is trending upwards and is in that age where you are experienced, but you're not on the verge of retiring, I think that's pretty great for a a rebuilding team, which probably will be among the, uh, you know, among the worst teams in the NHL for, for next season as well. But as I said, he's signed for four more years, so he could be there for an extended period of time. Yeah. And And he's he's a local boy as well. Indeed. He's a West Island boy from, uh, I think he's from Point Clyde. Yeah. So, 
you, you get the benefit of having that, that hometown guy. And uh, honestly looks like somebody that could contribute uh, next year. And again, there's, there's a lot less risk for Montreal considering that they're getting a longer term contract because the dollar is smaller, right? We know that the cap is already starting to go up as it was initially expected to pre pandemic. So now we're going to see that cap get a little bit bigger. So you have options. You can keep him around. Um, maybe he's part of the rebuild. Maybe yeah. he becomes a veteran presence on your blue line that you keep around for the entire duration of that contract. Or you mentioned this earlier, right? They could flip him at the deadline. I think his cap hit is probably easier for you to flip at the deadline, even with the term, than Petrie's would have been. And I do think there's going to be some teams. I said this about Petrie, and I'll say it about Matheson too. There's going to be some teams that are going to be desperate for D-men around the deadline. And if Montreal you know, goes through most of the season heading up to the deadline and things are, I guess, going decently with Matheson, but they don't see him as part of that future – then you can explore some trades at the deadline. And I think you'll get a little bit more in return for somebody like Matheson than you would have for Petrie. I think both of them would have been really good deadline trade options because I think either one is going to net you a pretty good return. But I, I just Chirot think it would be return. better with a Ben Chirot return is what you're aiming for, right? Yeah. You look at that one. I and mean, Ben Chirot was on an expiring contract, of course. It was a little bit easier to get rid of because you can eat some salary and you don't care. You're not going to be eating that salary forever you're not really going to be able to eat salary on Matheson, but you know what? I think that if it comes to that, they're going to have options of teams that are going to be interested and teams that maybe just maybe give you that Ben Sherrod esque haul that you never should have had in the first place. And you know, it, it kickstarts the rebuild even a little bit more. Yeah. I was going to open that discussion as well, because you're mentioning both Petrie and um, you know, and, and Matheson as possible, you know, trade ships, if, you know, if there were Montreal players by the deadline. Uh, I want to open the discussion as well about Joel Edmondson, because this opens up having Matheson signed until 2026 means that Joel Edmondson could possibly be more expendable for, you know, an aspiring team. He's already won a cup with St. Louis and, uh, you know, he's uh, got some pretty good experience. He's 29 years old and he has only two years left on his deal as of this summer and he signed on a you know team friendly deal of 3.5 million annual average you know and with this trade for Mike Madison all, all of a sudden you have both Edmondson and Madison as um, potential you know veteran presences on the blue line and if Madison is difficult to move because of you know having a long-term contract and almost five millions in cap hit Edmondson should be probably quite easy because you get a year and a little more for him um, of him uh, during the deadline for a reasonable cap. Hit. And only a, yeah, 3.5 on Joel Edmondson. That's a really good point. Yep. I mean, I didn't even think of the fact that it definitely opens up some other options if they want to move a defenseman at the deadline. Yeah. They definitely needed to add a defenseman. And I think they needed to get rid of Ryan Paling as well, because Ryan Paling, him being moved off, it opened up the door for them to give Rem Pitlick a new contract, which was the second thing that we need to talk about today. Yeah. Uh, Two-year contract for Rem Pitlick at 1.1 million AAV per year. Gotta say, I absolutely love that deal. Anton, what do you think? No, exactly. Like, n- nothing more said. I-, I think it was a bold move to uh, let him go to UFA uh, because obviously you don't know if he's going to get... 
a decent uh, a decent offer from somewhere else. But um, I think that for Rempitlig as well, he felt like he broke out in Montreal last season. They have a young up and coming team, and I think it was the best alternative for him. Even if he probably got a little less money than he would have wanted after a breakout season, but. As a former agent, uh, you know, Kent Hughes could just show him, you know, advanced analytics and just show him his shooting percentage and say that, well, Rem, you're probably not going to do as well next season and just good to, you know, have a bridge contract here and just show everyone that uh, you're the real deal and and that it wasn't just a fluke last season. And for 1.1 million, he becomes... He's one of those players in the middle there. He's not super young. He's born in 97, I think, like Marino. And um, so he becomes one of those middlemen uh, who can be a bridge player for the years uh, before we have a Joshua Roy or a Sean Farrell coming into the lineup in, in a year or two. Yeah, it's a, it's a perfect bridge, right? And at 1.1, you're not breaking the bank whatsoever. No, this has the potential. I, I said this, I don't know how many times in the bottom six minutes last season. He has the potential to be the new Paul Byron for Montreal off waivers, right? Obviously they did overpay Byron a little bit um, once they had to. So you hope you don't do that with Rem Pitlick as well. But I mean, he had 37 points in 66 games between two different teams last year. Yep. 26 of those points were scored with Montreal after being picked up off waivers. So these bargain bin fines, you know, it doesn't happen that often where you pick somebody up off waivers, they go into your lineup and they do that well. Right. Joel Players. Armia was basically a waiver find as well, since he was just throwing to get rid of a contract, Steve Mason's contract. So, like for Montreal and and for mm. uh, you know, and now it wasn't Mark. Ber- was Mark Bergman fired when uh, Rem Pitlick was brought on? Um, I don't remember. You know what? Now it, I can't even remember. Now I was I gonna think... say like I, I don't remember if it was Gorton's first move bringing rim no because Gorton's first move was bringing Kale Clegg off waivers, and that didn't work out as well. No, not nearly so, as well as Rem Pitlick. No, exactly. But but I, I don't know if it was Gordon or Bergman, but like for Montreal, it's worked out quite well with these <laughs> with these uh you know waiver fines or whatever, get, getting a throw in or something. Then as you said with Byron, and that works for Army as well, you, you ended up slightly overpaying them and especially giving them more term than maybe you would have wanted. And um, that's why this deal with Rem Pitlick looks really good because you could have just been if if it was a more conservatively minded general manager who wasn't aware aware of you know analytics and everything he probably would have qualified rem pitlick and just hoped that everything would resolve itself uh you know and and if nothing else they would have you know gotten a year of arbitration deal of like three something million or whatever for rem pitlick yeah but since they you know, didn't care to qualify him and now are now able to resign him on a much lower average deal. It just, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a sly move by, by a rookie general manager. Um, and I really, I really like it. If Rempidly conti- continues to evolve, he will still only be 27 by the time his contract expires. And then you could, you know, think about whether he will be a part of the long-term future or otherwise he's, you know, a trade ship. So, yeah. I mean, you can't do any better as a deadline trade chip than somebody who's only making 1.1 because his deadline exactly. salary is going to be negligible. So if he has even close, like you, you mentioned the shooting percentage, right? He's got a, an absurd shooting percentage. That's one of the reasons why not doing the qualifying offer was smart because if you ended up in arbitration, he did 
it's entirely possible he could go in that 3 million range because I really don't think arbitration is going to look at shooting percentage and go, Hey, that's not sustainable. That's why you scored nine goals last year. Uh, and then another six with Minnesota. So we're going to give you the 3 million. And then all of a sudden, like you're, you're clearly overpaying him, right? You, yeah. you don't want to have that money sunk into bottom six guys. Um, and they've learned that the hard way in some other places. So that's one of the reasons why it was that smart for them to do that. And then on top of that, absolutely. He's got crazy, crazy deadline trade value if he puts up even close to the same numbers that he was if he scores at even less than the rate that he was like 26 and 46 was what he put up in montreal if he maintains that his trade value the deadline is going to be massive if he comes even close to it it's going to be massive like and even if he doesn't right if he puts up a, a 20 point season before the deadline he's going to have some value to some teams that are going into the playoffs. He's a fast player, uh, keep, keeps a lot of pace, definitely a good addition to almost any bottom six in the league, except and for the it, more. And he's adaptable. He can play teams. both both in the middle and on the wing. So, Bingo. Yeah. You got versatility there. You've got speed. There's definitely, definitely going to be some interest in him at the deadline. But of course, you also, same as you do with Matheson, have the option of evaluating things and deciding, you know, is this a player that we want to keep? I said it. Again, I don't know how many times I'd have to go back and listen to all my bottom six minutes from last year, which I'm not going to do, but I want to say at least four or five times I gave him player of the game. And in those players of the game, each time I always wondered like, you know, is this a player that we try to keep? And my conclusion for the most part was, yeah, I think we should try to keep him because I don't think he's going to cost a lot. And I think he's a great addition to the bottom six. They went ahead and they did that. And to do it at 1.1, I love it. Yeah. So basically, you have you have added Rim Pitlick, who you already know, an established you know asset for the Canadians, and Mike Matheson, who is also an established asset since Kent Hughes knows him from being his former agent. And you've subtracted Jeff Petrie, who didn't want to play in Canada anymore, um, and Ryan Paling, who uh, never really broke into the team. So, what do you think? Is it um, is it a win or a loss for the Canadians? I'm 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 gonna I'm willing to call it a win right now, right? Yeah. I I think when it comes to a trade like this, you kind of got to wait because Jeff Petrie could go to Pittsburgh next year and score seventy points, and then we would well, all go. Never, well, he's never he's never done that in his career. I know he hasn't, but he's going to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, a very structured team that I think they're definitely in a better position well, than Montreal. I, I was going to say like got... he's not a very strong power play contributor. Hmm. But if he gets out there and he gets to play with Crosby or Malkin all the time, how many assists is he going to end up getting just at five on five, right? Yeah, that's true. He moves the puck up ice. He gets the puck to those guys, and then they're going to do what they do, right? Yeah. Um, I think as, as long as he's out there and he gets the right you know quality of teammates, which in, in Pittsburgh you stand a pretty damn good chance of getting, especially when he is ostensibly going to be on their top pair, um, I, I could see him. I don't know about 70, right? I'm just throwing the number 70 out there, but I could see him, you know, kissing 60, maybe 65, maybe even 70. And then we might look back on it. We might go, well, look, we gave away a 70 point defenseman, but you have to look at it through the context of he's a 70 point or a 60 point, whatever he ends up getting defenseman on Pittsburgh, not on Montreal. Right. That being said, of course, Matheson didn't score that many points in Pittsburgh, so it begs the question of which one of those two players ends up being better. But at the end of the day, Jeff Petrie wanted out, so I think you have to call that trade a win. 
because they didn't have to give up assets to get rid of him. They were able to free up some cash space and they still got assets back, including a defenseman that can kind of eat some of those minutes that Petrie was eating. And the last thing that I think we might want to just chat about for two minutes before we end this thing is what does this mean? Now they got a little bit more cap space. So they used some of it on Rem Pitlick, obviously. But we also know that there's another iron in the fire, another iron that's been talked about ad nauseum on Twitter. Everybody's talking about it. And that's the trade for Pierre-Luc Dubois with the Winnipeg Jets. Yes. Do you think, I'm just asking you at this point, yeah. do you think that these moves suggest anything, suggest any more validity to that trade? Are we going to see that trade do you think that they're trying to, you know, slowly build up some cap space so that they would have enough room to sign him afterwards? I, I definitely think that Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon are interested in Pierre-Luc Dubois because he fits the profile of what the Canadians would want uh, to have behind or beside Nick Suzuki as a 1A, 1B centerman or, or a second line centerman. Uh, the fact that he's local and that he really wants to play for Montreal, we, we see all these. I think it was The Athletic had a combined article now with Arpun Basu and, and Murat uh, from Winnipeg going into detail why Pierre-Luc Dubois to Montreal makes a lot of sense. And the fact that he has two years left before he can become a UFA and basically select wherever he wants to go. And there are rumors, I don't know if they were already uh, confirmed that he was at the draft in Montreal because he was Mm -hmm. expecting a deal to be done. Um, And that also, you know, just adds to the fact that Pierre-Luc Dubois probably wants to be a Montreal Canadian. If it becomes reality this summer, um, that would be great. But it also depends on, we've seen now from Kent Hughes that he, he doesn't want to give up just anything uh, or ridiculous price um, because obviously Pierre-Luc Dubois is a, he is an RFA right now, so you could offer sheet mm-hmm. him, uh, but it would probably be quite expensive and you risk the possibility as well of the Winnipeg matching and all of a sudden maybe signing him up for several years. You could also see Winnipeg waiting for a higher offer from another team, but the other teams probably know at this point that Dubois mainly wants to play in Montreal and that means they, they can probably only sign him for two, maybe three years yep. and then he will hit UFA. That also means that they don't want to tra- trade a you know prime package for him if they can't have him in the long term. And so the question is just when it becomes reality, how long can Winnipeg wait? What kind of offer can Winnipeg offer him as you know a, a potential in a potential re-signing phase? Will he even want to negotiate re- uh, you know a, a new contract in Winnipeg, or will he just wait for and, and st- stay? away from the market and just wait for uh, Kevin Chevel day off to become desperate and just basically call up Kent Hughes and ask what the best offer actually is. And we, we know that Montreal is it one thing that Montreal has right now. It's trade ships, right? We have yep. John Anderson signed to a long deal. We have Paul Byron, whose contract is up next year. And, you know, he's a speedster that could add something to your bottom six. And um, Christian Dvorak signed until 2025, right? So on a reasonable deal. So, and then all these young kids, if you want to trade a Matthias Norlinder, for example, or Jaden Struppel, or, you know, one of the left-handed defensemen, there are assets um, that could potentially entice Kevin Sheldayev and the Jets to make a deal before it's too late and Dubois' value just drops. Yeah, and they might have, I mean, this is another thing we talked about, right? I don't think that the deal today 
has anything to do with that potential deal because I don't think Petrie was going to be involved in the the Zubor trade anyways. Well, everything is kind of you know attached when it comes to like you know dropping yeah. cap yeah. and everything like but 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 I understand what you're saying that Petrie was probably never going to be a part of uh, Jets Bingo. in in like a limbo situation anyway. Yeah, all this to say, I just don't think that Kent Hughes is done, and I don't think that he's ready to take that iron out of the fire. Um, I, I I think that it's it's an entirely realistic possibility that we're going to see this boy as a Montreal Canadian before this season starts. I mean, that draft story about him being there apparently is 100% real. Apparently he was there like with his family and they thought when that trade got announced by Gary Bettman uh, for the 13th overall pick, they thought that 13th overall pick was going to end up being the additional piece that Winnipeg wanted in the trade. So oh, like shit. apparently that's how close this thing was at one point. Apparently there was an offer for three players in exchange for Pierre-Luc Dubois and at, I guess at the 11th hour, Winnipeg wanted somebody different. And apparently they want somebody untouchable. Now we don't know. I, I just want, we, we don't yeah, know. I, who that I was going to ask you about players. that. Like who do you think is untouchable in a rebuilding house? On a rebuilding Montreal Canadiens, I'd say really right now for me, there's basically two, maybe three guys who are untouchable. Nick Suzuki, Cole Caulfield, and I would argue Brendan Gallagher. I, I, I think, thought you were going to say Joshua Roy, but... Well, listen, I would never trade Joshua Roy personally, but is he untouchable? Of course not. I don't think anybody's no, like, untouchable I, at I this point, other than the three that I mentioned. Yeah, I don't but think Gallagher is close. untouchable either. I don't like the thing with Gallagher is he's, he's a leader on this team. Right. And I, I still think is, that but, but, even with the raise that he got, I think, yeah. especially like people are looking at his, at his production last year and going, Oh, he's, uh, he shouldn't be untouchable. Well, you know what? Give him a full year under Marty St. Louis. I think you're going to see a major uptick in his production next season. I think that I, I, I really believe it. So for me, I wouldn't trade him. Now that being said, it, it depends on the deal. Right. But the only true untouchables, are the two that I mentioned first, Suzuki and Caulfield. So I think what I think is the the player that they're trying to get is they're trying to get Caulfield. I think they're trying to make an argument that, oh yeah, well, sure. He did good in the second half of the year, but that was a flash in the pan. Let us take over. And, you know, you guys should be probably expecting (laughs) more what he did in the first half of the season. Rather than what he did in the second half. Who who are are they going to put with him? They don't have any forwards anymore. (laughs) But, but like also. He would look great on Pierre Lourdes-Bois wing. I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. No, I was going to, argue as well that I, I would imagine that the Habs see Caden Gooley as semi-untouchable uh, at this point as well because mm, having having traded Alexander Romanov and not knowing what you really have in Jordan Harris and Matthias Norlinder and Justin Barron and Logan Mayu and all of these other guys, uh, Caden Gooley looks like the most sure deal. He looks like someone who could be a new Mike Madison, Joel Edmondson, whatever, you know, that type of defenseman, a new Shea Weber, or what, if, if you really want to stretch it. Um, and I would argue that he's probably the best defensive prospect that Canadians have at the moment. And, and I don't think you want to trade that um, if you don't absolutely know that you're getting a, a fantastic deal in return. Yeah, I mean, look, the the reason I wanted to bring this up as our last thing is because I I think we're going to be doing another podcast pretty soon, and I think that that next podcast that we do, it's it's probably going to be about that trade. I, I think there's well, way too we, much. We know smoke. that you're the oracle, so I I am right, and uh, whatever and you say happens <laughs> eventually. Sometimes yeah. it takes a while, right? I yeah. did. I did spend, you know, several years trying to get rid of Benjamin before they, uh, <laughs> before they ended up making that one true. So, 
Um, well, we, we'll, we needed we'll the final appearance first, right? We needed you right. to start with bottom six minutes during the playoffs there, so that you could really hammer in, you know, hammer in your um, your your uh, what do you say, like um, your testament or whatever. Um, so you could really become the oracle, and then everything happened pretty quickly. <laughs> Everyone got fired just as Bingo. you wanted. Bencheroth was traded just as you wanted. So we'll have to maybe revisit this again afterwards. Anton, thank you very much for joining me for this. Pleasure. You've been listening to Absent Minded Extra. Thank you as always for listening, and of course, à la prochaine. <laughs>